Chapter 2, The Psychology of Faith. The general conception of faith, the idea of faith held by most persons, is that it is an emotional state independent of, if not indeed actually contrary to, reason. This idea arises by reason of the tendency to view faith only from one particular angle. If faith were subjected to an all-around view, the observer changing his position and shifting his viewpoint in his observation, it would be seen that while faith often seems to transcend reason and to be independent of its reports, yet it is not contrary to or opposed to reason and in fact depends largely upon reason for its direction and application. Faith in its essence and fundamental substance may be said to be beyond reason, to transcend reason. While not dependent upon reason for its basic foundation, and while not having reason as its fountain spring, yet faith must needs employ reason as its useful instrument of manifestation and expression, and must use the signposts of reason as guides pointing out the road over which it travels. It is equally true that reason must be based upon faith, for of itself it has no ultimate foundation. Reason and faith are not antagonistic when they are rightly understood. Rather, are they brothers in arms, each helpful and useful to the other. The ideal is the well-balanced coordination and correlation of reason and faith. Intellect, of which reason is a manifestation and form of expression, is an instrument evolved by life or spirit, call it what you will, for special purposes. In its own field, it is supreme but its own field is a limited one, though this fact is not generally recognized. There are other fields of mentation in the vast domain of life or spirit. When intellect is pushed beyond its limits, it becomes dazed and confused and seems to lose its normal powers. As Bergson has strikingly pointed out to us, there are things which reason of itself could never know, yet which, when discovered by intuition, require the use of reason to manifest efficiently. Likewise, though intuition knows these things by reason of its essential nature, very often the knowledge is not raised into consciousness until reason demands to be furnished with it. When reason recognizes this fact and is willing to call upon intuition for these reports and to apply them when thus revealed, then and then only does reason rise to the greatest heights of attainment. So in the same way, only when intuition recognizes reason as its most effective instrument of manifestation, does intuition proceed properly and efficiently along the road of practical accomplishment. The intellectual pride which seeks to banish intuition from the field of thought and which strives to make reason the sole occupant of that realm it is one-sided and as illogical as is that anti-intellectual tendency which would exalt intuition and faith to the position of absolute rulers of the domain of thought, denying to reason any right of entrance to it. These are twin errors, each one insisting upon gazing at 
but one particular side of the shield while refusing to walk around it so as to perceive its reverse side. The truth of the matter is indicated in the above statements is not generally recognized. There are many, of course, who see that faith is more or less inefficient unless reason is called in to aid and direct its expression and manifestation. The examples of the effect of blind credulity and unreasoning faith are numerous and are readily recalled as illustrations of the need for reason in the manifestation of faith. The intellectualists seem to have the matter all their own way at first sight, but a little closer examination will reveal the other side of the question, the twin truth. For when we demand to be shown the roots, basis, and foundations of reason, we are reluctantly pointed to what? Faith. All deductive reasoning is based upon a premise or proposition. The major premise is the sacred truth upon which the deduction is made. There is always the tacit assumption that the truth of the major premise is axiomatic, i.e. self-evident and not requiring proof, argument, or demonstration. If this be admitted, the subsequent reasoning is mechanical and almost mathematical in its certainty. But when one claims that the person asserting the premise or proposition is begging the question, i.e. assuming without warrant the truth of the premise, or tacitly implying that it is accepted or not disputed when the objecting one states, I dispute your major premise, then the trouble begins. The burden of proof in logic rests upon the person advancing the premise or proposition, and he then may be called upon to prove the truth of his premise or proposition. When such person attempts to furnish such proof and to support it by a logical argument, he simply shifts his position a step or two backward. When that step is reached, he halts and recommences his argument, how? By advancing another premise or proposition, usually another major premise, which he assumes to be axiomatic or self-evident. If this be objected to, he must begin retreat and erect another line of entrenchments, and so on, and so on, and so on. If the opponent be sufficiently persistent and determined, this retreat is continued indefinitely, unless the first man disgustedly discontinues the argument and refuses to play. This, of course, being his right and in no way being a confession of defeat or in any way a victory for the skeptical opponent. The discussion simply is off in such case. All this brings us to the point where we perceive that sooner or later we reach a stage in reasoning in which there is something taken for granted, something assumed for the purposes of the argument, something which has not as yet been proved, but which is to be employed as the basis of the proof of something else. In short, something which is based on faith, expressed or implied. That basis of faith, however, need not be blind faith or unreasoning credulity. It should indeed not be so. It may be, and usually is, something which seems reasonable and not inconsistent with reason, but nevertheless, it is accepted by an act of faith, as logic defines that term, for it is not positively known, nor has it been proved logically. There is no escape from this conclusion, disagreeable as it may be to the extreme intellectualists. 
the better the logician, the more freely will he confess to this fact of logic. It is usually only the amateurs who seek to dispute it. Leaving the field of formal logic and entering that of practical logic of everyday thought and life, we find the same state of affairs existing. The most important reasoning of the practical everyday life is based upon faith. We do not know positively that the sun will rise tomorrow morning. All we know is that in the history of the race, the sun always has risen in the morning, and we believe that it will continue the practice on the morrow. But we do not know absolutely that such will be the case. We cannot prove it absolutely by argument, even by mathematics unless we admit the existence of universal law or the law of causation, whereby the same causes under the same conditions will produce the same results. You may object to all this as silly, but instead it is the strictest application of the rules and laws of logical thought. Of course, you say that we know that the sun will rise tomorrow morning and may even tell to a second the time of its rising. Certainly we know this, but we know it only by an act of faith. That faith, moreover, is the belief that there exists universal law, that natural things act and move under law, that the same causes under the same conditions produce the same results. That law and every other natural law is to us merely an hypothesis, well-established by experience, observation, and experiment. It is true, but still an hypothesis a guess, an assumption based upon faith. The conviction of knowing is really intuitive. It is an act of faith. The faith, it is true, is directed by reason, but the essence is still faith. Science, that supposedly cold intellectual school of thought, has its foundation in faith, though it is usually thought to turn its back upon faith and to stand upon the solid rock of reason and intellect. Its laws at the last are merely the way things work, which means the way that observed things have been found to work in the past, the habit of procedure observed by nature. The law of causation is a tremendous statement of faith. The laws of chemistry, the laws of physics, these are statements of faith. The molecules and atoms of matter have never been perceived by the senses. They are unknown so far as sense knowledge is concerned. Things act as if molecules and atoms exist, so we assume that they do exist. We take them on faith. The keenest minds in science admit this. They frankly state that of the ultimate nature of things, we know absolutely nothing. Science adopts hypotheses by acts of faith. When subsequent investigations shake the faith in them, they are discarded in favor of others, likewise based on faith. Faith blended and harmonized with reason, but not blind faith or unreasoning credulity is the faith of science. The combined hypothesis of science raised to the dignity of principles and laws in many cases constitute the creed of science, i.e. that which begins with the statement, I believe in, etc. This creed, like all others, is a confession of faith faith directed and regulated by reason, it is true, but still faith. Philosophy, like science, is based on faith, faith rationally interpreted, but still faith. Philosophy holds as axiomatic, self-evident, the contrary of which is unthinkable, 
the basic proposition that from nothing, no thing can arise, flow or proceed. And its corollary, had there ever been a time in which nothing was and no thing was in existence, then no thing would be in existence now. But it does not positively know that such is the fact. It cannot prove that something cannot arise from nothingness. All that it knows is that it cannot think such a thing to be possible and that it had no experience with anything of that sort. You may say that it knows this truth intuitively, and so it does, as a fact, just as it knows many other things intuitively. But that which is the report of intuition is a report arising from fields of mentation outside those of reason, though the reports are not necessarily conflicting with or opposed to each other. All intuitive knowledge is belief based upon faith at the last. Geometry is an exact science, yet it is based solely upon certain laws and principles which are accepted by faith, for they cannot be proved absolutely by reason. The laws of geometry are articles of the creed, of the confession of faith, of geometry. Geometry begins with a series of I believes. These are called axioms, self-evident facts requiring no proof and assumed to be truth. Yet these are all I believes, not I knows, for they cannot be proved as universal truths. They act as if they were universal truths. Everything tested by them indicate their correctness. Yet until each and everything in the universe is so tested, until infinite space is measured, there can be no positive proof that they are universal laws and truths. In fact, there are certain schools of transcendental geometry, which have found quite different and often quite contradictory laws, which act as if they were true. This does not mean that there is no truth in such laws and the conceptions based upon them. We would be insane to ignore them in our practical life. Moreover, this does not mean that men do not know these things to be true. They do know them to be true so far as they be conceived, but the knowing is intuitive, not purely intellectual. Intellect discovers them through its reasoning processes and intuition reports the conviction of their truth. They represent acts of faith, faith rationally interpreted. This may be a hard saying to many of us, but it is one made by the keenest minds of the race. The most certain laws of physics, chemistry, and geometry are in the end based upon faith rationally interpreted. Such faith is justifiable, that is freely admitted and approved of. But we insist that faith must be accorded its proper place in the consideration and not merely bidden to stand in the ante room of thought while intellect is made the honored guest, the lion in the reception room. In the ordinary affairs of life and action, you act according to faith. You do this so naturally and instinctively, so constantly and habitually that you are not aware of it. You start on a railroad journey. You buy your ticket, having faith that the train will start from the station named on the timetable and approximately on the time noted in it. You have faith that it will proceed to the destination promised. You do not know these things from actual experience, for you cannot so know what lies in the future. You take them for granted. You assume them to be true. You act upon faith. You take your seat. 
You do not know the engineer or the conductor. You have never seen them, nor do you even know their names. You do not know whether or not they are competent, reliable, or experienced. All that you know is that it is reasonable to suppose that the railroad company will select the right kind of men for the task. You act upon faith, upon faith rationally interpreted. You have faith in the company, in the management, in the system of conducting the matter, in the equipment, etc., and you stake your life and wholeness of body upon that faith. You may say that you only take a chance in the matter, but even so, you manifest faith in that chance or else you wouldn't take it. You wouldn't take a chance of standing in the path of a rushing express train or of leaping from the Eiffel Tower, would you? You manifest faith in something, even if that something be no more than the law of averages. You place your money in a bank. Here again, you manifest faith, faith rationally interpreted. You sell goods on credit to your customers, faith again. You have faith in your grocer, your butcher, your lawyer, your physician, your clerks, your insurance company. That is to say, Faith of some kind or of some degree, else you would not trust anything whatsoever to them. If you believe that a man is dishonest, incompetent, or insane, you do not place confidence in him, nor trust your affairs or interests to him. Your faith is in his wrongness and not in his rightness. But it is faith, nevertheless. Every belief short of actual positive knowledge is a form or phase of faith. You may say that those things denote not faith, but rather confidence or expectation of some degree. This is merely changing the terms, but not the meaning. In the preceding section of this book, we have shown you that the very essence and substance of the present usage and meaning of the term and concept faith is confident expectation. The expectation may not be very pronounced. The confidence may be limited, but nevertheless, it is confident expectation of some kind, form, phase, or degree. Even the belief that some undesirable and feared thing may happen is the negative phase of faith. Fear is a form or phase of faith, of faith mingled with the negation of hope. Fear and hope are both forms or phases of expectation when raised to the degree of confident expectation, they are markedly forms of faith. You have the faith that if you step off a high building into space, you will fall and be injured, perhaps killed. This is your faith in the law of gravitation. You have a similar faith in certain other physical laws. You have the confident expectation that evil results to you will follow certain courses of action concerning these physical laws. You have faith that poisons will injure or destroy your physical body and you avoid such. You may object that you know these things, not merely believe them, but you don't know anything directly and immediately until you experience it, and you cannot experience a future happening before it's time. All that you can do concerning each and every future experience is to believe certain things concerning it, and that belief is nothing else but faith, interpreted more or less rationally and correctly. You do not know certainly and positively by direct experience or by pure reason, a single thing about the happenings of tomorrow or of some day next week or of the corresponding day of next year. Yet you act as if you did possess such knowledge, but why? 
simply because your faith in the law and order of the universe of the operation of the law of causation, whereby effects follow causes, of the law of probabilities or the law of average or of some other natural law. But your knowledge of and belief in such laws are but forms of your faith, i.e. confident expectation that things will work out according to the rule observed in past actions. You cannot get away from faith in your thoughts and beliefs concerning the present and the future any more than you can run away from your shadow in the bright daylight. Without faith rationally interpreted, without confident expectation in at least some degree, there could be no rational action or procedure. All human intercourse and communication, all human coordination and correlation between individuals, all dealings between man and man, all enterprises designed and carried on by man, and all the plans and purposes of the race of men, all these, each and every one of them, are based on some form of faith, of faith more or less rationally interpreted. We know certainly only the events of the present moment or of the past, the events and happenings of the future, even of the moment hence, we know only by and through faith, more or less directed and guided by reason. We live by faith. We act through faith. From the foregoing and the reflections aroused in your mind by the consideration of it, you will perceive that faith has as true and a sound position and place in the psychology of the human being as have reason and intellect. Faith is not an alien intruder. It is a native of the mental realm which it inhabits, and its claims to citizenship are quite well founded. In its place and within its normal limits, its work is as useful as that of intellect or reason. Outside of that place and beyond those limits, however, its work is as ineffective as even as harmful as is that of intellect, which so transcends its normal field of activity. The mind may be debauched by arrogant intellect, as well as outraged by unreasoning faith. It is only in the well-balanced, thoroughly harmonized combination of faith and reason, intellect and intuition, that the human mind manifests its highest efficiency and performs its best work. Intellect and reason are comparatively latecomers to the mind in the history of mental evolution. Instinct, which is the phase of a reflection of intuition, was there long before reason. Faith, by reason of its relation to intuition, is more deeply rooted in the mental soil than is reason. Hence, its wonderful power manifested often in the very face of reason. By reason of this relation to the most elementary and essential fundamental and basic facts of mental substance and process, faith has a motive power and an attractive power closely resembling that of desire and will. Indeed, there are many thinkers along the lines of esoteric philosophy who indicate that the element of faith or confident expectation plays a much more important part in the activities and accomplishments of desire and will than is apparent to those who view only the exoteric phase of the subject. As we proceed with this consideration of faith power, in the present instruction, you will perceive many instances of this elemental power of faith and of the results arising from it. Faith not only blazes the trail which is followed by us in subsequent travels of will, 
It also digs the channels through which flow to us the currents of things, events, happenings, and persons from the outside world. Well did the ancient sages accord to faith an equal position in the mental trinity with desire and will, respectively. Insistent desire, confident expectation, and persistent determination, desire, faith, and will, truly a trinity of personal power. Without the confident expectation, there will be no kindling of the flame of insistent desire, no application of the steel of persistent determination. Unless faith expresses itself in the confident expectation of the obtaining or attainment of the thing desired and willed, then will desire find it difficult to want it hard enough, and will will find it impossible to persistently determine to obtain it. Desire and will depend upon faith for their inspirational forces by means of the latter, the energizing forces of desire and the dynamic forces of will are inspired and vitalized and have the breath of life breathed into them. <laughs>